DTX Equals, where thought leaders in digital therapeutics put a stake in the ground on what makes DTX DTX. With us today is Mark Whitkey, uh, formerly of Novartis, now CEO of Dopavision. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about what Dopavision does before we get into it? So thanks, Acacia, for having me on the podcast. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, at Dopavision, we're developing a novel therapeutic to treat myopia progression or nearsightedness progression in pediatric populations. And our approach is digitally delivered um, using a blue light stimulation of the blind spot to increase the levels of dopamine in the eye, which has been shown to slow the progression of myopia. So not a lot of people know this, but myopia has been uh, ex exploding in prevalence in the last couple of generations and is expected to hit about 50% of the population by the year 2050. So a really big problem. And we're trying to, to really uh, you know, come up with a new digital solution to be able to, to treat this problem, so. Well, first of all, let me just say that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, we don't get a lot of uh, things in digital therapeutics acting on physical things. Um, so I'm already, I'm already excited uh, to dig in about this. Uh, but before we nerd out on, on Dopavision itself, tell us a little bit about you and specifically what's a formative event in your life or career that influenced your path to DTX. How did you even get here, right? You were at Novartis for a really long time. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm, I'm a scientist by training, so I have a PhD in biology. And uh, while I was doing my postdoc, I, I kind of chose a, a bit of a business route to take for a little bit. Um, that led me through a, a couple of, of career changes, but eventually to Novartis, um, where I did a, a lot of work first in uh, portfolio management, but eventually developing new therapeutics. That was uh, leading pr drug, uh, drug and uh, device programs uh, for new therapeutics. What really got me interested in, in digital, got me really excited about digital. There's actually not just one event, but there's actually a couple of them. One, I, I was working on a project where I, I, I realized that, um, that the, the, the scope of access that people have to digital uh, media is really stunning. So I worked with, uh, I worked on a project where we specifically were working with people in a very rural area. And we realized that even people in this very like remote rural area ha had access to a smartphone and a data plan. And that lets you start thinking about the reach that you can get with digital therapeutics. Um, in addition to this, uh, while I was working on a, on, a, on a small molecule project, a, pharma, uh, a pharmaceutical project, we started working on a digital assessment for one of the key endpoints that we were dealing with. And what really got me excited about that was thinking, wait a minute, instead of just getting a, a reading once every month when these patients go into the clinic, we can actually start collecting data almost daily about how they're how they're 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 progressing against our efficacy endpoint. And again, we didn't get it daily, but we could when you have something that's highly variable, to be able to look at sort of more continuous data rather than you know just once every month is really attractive as well. Um, after that, I actually ended up leading a, a digital therapeutics team for a little while. And that again, the idea of having someone be able to pull their phone out of their pocket and get a treatment from our company was really, really exciting, really interesting, and how we could just be integrated into people's everyday lives. And then last but not least, as you, you know, uh, Francesca, my, my wife quite well. So, you know, living with, uh, with Francesca, who has been a digital therapeutics investor, has been the CDO of a company, is the founder of her own uh, digital therapeutics startup, uh, has really helped me as well see the possibilities that we have here. So I think that that's been also really exciting. 
Well, now that you brought up Francesca, I feel I have to mention the Woodcase sandwich. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so so we we both been in the business for 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 quite some time. Uh, you know, working on the uh, working on the uh, on on these uh, these solutions, both small molecules, but we both found our way to digital eventually. So it's been uh, it's been great to to have uh, your, your own wife be a great resource to you. I feel that maybe like two people actually saw that on LinkedIn and I was one of them and I'm going to keep it alive forever. Cookie sandwich, it's happening. Yeah, whenever you have one, both of us speaking and someone in between, that poor <laughs> person is always stuck That's in the That's the sandwich. Family. Yeah, <laughs> <Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, with that in mind, right, so you're probably um, one of the, uh, even though you were kind of, you you came to digital therapeutics in a, in a more like a gradual way as you started to see its appeal as opposed to landing there, you were there kind of like in an interesting way because it was through Novartis and, um, you know, relatively early in the digital therapeutics movement. So I'm really excited to get your perspective on the field as a whole. Um, you know, we don't often get somebody who is 100% in digital therapeutics and was 100% in pharma. So um, given that background, tell us a little bit about what DTX kind of means to you. What it, DTX equals what? Yeah, if, if I was to think about this, I would say that uh, DTX equals access. Um, there's still a, a clear gap in in underserved groups with respect to access in, a, in a, to healthcare right now. And if we think about the promise of, 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 of digital, right, and by the way, thinking about pure digital therapeutics, but also thinking about a company like Dopavision where we're digitally delivering something. So we're not a, a pure digital therapeutic, but but just at, you know, leveraging a digital approach for something, you really have the, the ability to, to increase access in, in a number of different ways, right? So one of them, of course, is the idea that, you know, there's physical gaps, right? Where, where a, a, a patient might not be able to get to a physician or get to a, a point of care uh, uh, site where they can actually receive the either a, a diagnosis, a treatment, et cetera, where they're going to be. So being able to bring this to them, I think, is, is one thing. Um, you could certainly also solve capacity gaps. I mean, right, right now we're hearing about how healthcare systems are being more and more overwhelmed by you know, growing um, prevalences of certain uh, conditions. And of course, I mentioned myopia is going to be a big one of these. If you can actually make access to care more efficient, then that's another place where I think you can increase access, just because patients can get uh, can get um, you know uh, get to the the treatment or the assessments much quicker when when they're offered digitally rather than having to show up physically at a uh, at a um, at a particular place. Um, you may even be able to solve economic gaps for, for these things as well, right? Certain, you know, there are possibilities for certain digital approaches to be able to price things more economically. And so you might be able to offer things to patients in a way that is much more affordable to them that might not be able to afford a standard of care right now. Um, I think that, that those are kind of, for me, they encompass a, a little bit of a, of a, of a thing around, around access and how digital approaches can really increase that for patients. Well, and there's another piece to that too, right? Because there's um, where are patients that they're going to be most likely to receive these products if we make them available. But then there's also what is going to make companies money enough that they can keep their doors open, which may not be the same thing necessarily, right? Like we've seen cases now where companies are going where they think there might be money and like doctors don't want to use it in that context or, you know, patients aren't adopting it. So um, there's, how are you thinking about that in, I mean, I think in your field in particular, like how are you thinking about um, finding where patients are and balancing that with, you know, how revenue is going to happen, given that right now nobody knows how to exactly generate revenue. 
Right. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, there's, there's a few ways that you can think about it, right? So, so what, one way you can think about it is of course, you know, the physician can still be, can still be quite, uh, you know, quite involved in the, in the diagnosis in the, in the monitoring, in the treatment, et cetera. But at the same time, the patient can then be accessing all those things through, you know, through a remote, uh, a remote, um, uh, set up right and and they, they those by the way can be reimbursed they they can be they can sometimes generate revenue for 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 the for the eye care provider certainly for the for the um for the 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 company is generating the these digital therapeutics you know the ability to go out and monetize these shouldn't be that that different from what you're looking at with you know say a, a pharmaceutical model right where where the patient wants access to a specific treatment the idea is that they pay for it. it's either reimbursed directly through the um, through a, a payer maybe a single payer maybe a private payer or the patient can pay for it themselves out of pocket and there should be no reason that you can't do the same thing with a digital approach right certainly the the digital economy is quite is quite robust so um, did I answer your question properly want to make sure I'm sort of thinking that there's no I don't see why there should be a big gap there um, but I can see where maybe there has been in the past, um, but maybe that's more about, you know, sort of people getting used to a new, a new approach. I wonder a little bit, too, if you have more moves in ophthalmology than you do in mental health, which is where I spend m most of my time, right? It's like uh, if you think about, well, okay, people go to the doctor for eye exams, right? But people also maybe would pay out of pocket. So, like, you have kind of more options there versus I think in mental health, there's very much a saturation of um, of options where, you know, if patients paying out of pocket is less of an option, but might also be the easiest path to revenue. Um, so we're seeing a lot of this like kind of adoption of direct to consumer in some places where like, I don't know, maybe you're never going to get patients to pay for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So, um, one, th one thing you're bringing up, which is true, is it is true that in, in most markets, a lot of, um, of optometry and ophthalmology is paid out of pocket, right? The, a lot of the solutions that people will go, will, would go after. Actually, at the moment right now, myopia control, where, you know, the, the, the control of myopia progression, the solutions that are available for that, many of them are out of pocket. And I, I'd say actually at this point, most of them, right? So it, it actually is a place where you might have a group that is already uh, somewhat more predisposed to out of pocket. That doesn't mean there's we're not, not another for digital it. solution, right? Like it's right. not like there are eight of you and you have to just. So I, I think it's a different sort of challenge where you know if I'm going to go up against you know all the existing mental health solutions, I've got to explain how I'm different in a way yeah. that is much I think more apparent. So uh, yeah, it's interesting because I think it is sort of industry dependent. Uh, I don't yeah. disagree with what you're saying, but it, it, there are differences in in markets' willingness to um, kind of you know, expectations about what should be reimbursed in different yeah. areas too. Yeah, yeah. A, really, a really good point. Yeah, if you get a, we, we always say that in certain European countries, if you get a prescription for something, there is no way you're going to pay for it right now, right? And, right. and like, it's just, it's just not in the, it's not in the DNA right now to, to pay for things. But, but again, the, these things change. And, and it, you, you kind of alluded to one thing, if you can be, you know, very differentiated from other, from other offerings, that might cause people to reach into their pockets. One other nice thing for us is it's a pediatric um, population. It's, that, that's when you see most progression and i will tell you one thing we have learned from from past projects i've worked on parents are far more willing to reach into their pocket to pay for their kid than they are necessarily to pay for themselves so so the fact that we that we're, we're looking for parents to pay for a therapy for the child also gives you a little bit of an advantage that may be true in mental health as well right i think you know people uh, are likely to be like oh well this is not so urgent i don't have to deal with it but watching your yeah. child suffer is a, is a different thing altogether yeah. so that's a yeah. that's a good point um, okay, so um, in your wildest dreams, given what we've just talked about with access, but, um, you know, really anything you can um, think of, what's something that DTX will be able to do in the future 
that it cannot do today. Yeah, I, I, I personally love the idea of a future in which there is almost a, a, a seamless way using almost entirely, if not entirely digital approaches to have patients do routine screening become be, be diagnosed with a, a specific condition, be able to access a therapy all without necessarily having to show up physically at a, at a physician's office. That to me is the fantasy, right? So, so, and again, and they're, and they're coming. I mean, like, I don't know if, uh, if, if it's going to be as, as quick or, or, or slower for every, every therapeutic area, but, but you're seeing more and more of these online assessments or, or the ability to use your, your device to do an assessment. And, and certainly telehealth is great. I mean, we had a, I live in Spain and we, we had moved here in 2015. One of our kids got a really bad, we bought him a cheap, a cheap toy watch that had a bad, uh, that had a bad uh, band. He got a, he got a, a little dermatitis out of it. My wife was able to actually just get on the, uh, click on the, uh, on the computer, show it to a doctor using the camera. He diagnosed it and then sent them a prescription over the, over the internet. They were able to then go fill it. Now they did have to go fill it, but, but that was really seamless. That, that took a minute instead of having to make an appointment, do all these things. So I see that as being the, the sort of future. And by the way, I believe we're going to get there. I think that there has been, you know, uh, uh, I think that there's been a couple of, um, of, of, of maybe, uh, you know, hurdles that we've that we've come across in in, in, the, in the digital space lately i think that was mainly based on some expectations that were set it, it was it was a very new kind of very sexy way to do things and i think people got really excited about it and maybe they kind of you know rushed in you know full headlong but i see there's still being an opportunity for us to now the companies that are that are that are still here the ones that are starting now or that are that are still still out there they start to grow a little bit more organically and i start to see people notice that and i'm going to see them starting to then come in and start to build on this sort of at a more measured pace rather than than all jumping in so i'm still really hopeful like we have these devices we have access to the internet this is not going to go away and so the ability to to realize that that promise, I think, is 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 very feasible, and I see it happening, hopefully, before my kids have kids. I mean, so I'll admit I am low key obsessed with much of what you just described in terms of the the potential of virtual clinics to um, expedite access to digital products. And I was um, I went and got an eye exam, and obviously I thought of you because. Yeah, <laughs> but you yeah. were talking about like, you know, we've, we've talked before about um, the process of, well, first of all, but eye care and dental care are one of the few things that, um, you know, we, at least in the U.S., get a special insurance for from most employers yeah. and that people mostly take care of on a routine basis and do preventative care around. So I went to this eye exam and uh, the doctor said, hey, I won't put the drops in your eyes if you pay me 40 bucks and uh, out of pocket and we do this scan instead. It's better and you don't have to get the eye drops. And I was like, sign me up, right? I gave them that 40 bucks. Um, and, and so I think about there's this existing care path there where you could be like, hey, here's this thing. Um, what do you think? Um, but you know, I could imagine a world where one, as the technology gets better, that stuff starts to happen digitally. And also when you start to think about you know clinics where um, it's not something people are good about do, dealing with preventatively. Like going back to mental health and as, as an example, people don't even go to get regular care for their mental health. Like two thirds yeah. of people don't, right? So, yeah. um, you know, how do we create a space for that? Um, that's where I start to get really obsessed with what you're saying about, okay, so maybe like people in in-person practice don't necessarily want to adopt this, but what about the two thirds of people that never make it to in-person practice? Like what's the yeah. practice that we can create for them um, that will let them get diagnosed and treated. And diagnosis, by the way, 
reimbursable. Like, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you think know, about, think yeah. about the access comment that I made before, right? You, you just talked about a group of people, especially in mental health, right? You're dealing with a group that, that, that needs to, to, to get treatment, but is probably less likely to be able to go out and seek the treatment and get, and get to an in-person clinic because they have th their own condition causes additional hurdles. Now, if you can start taking those hurdles away, you're now, you're now increasing access to a group that, that potentially would, would have suboptimal access before. And by the way, can I say that I thought when you're telling me this story about your doctor that you were going to say that he, he, he was asking for a bribe to not put drops in your eyes. I'm like, that's a different business model. But I, I see. But, you know, yeah. I think the bribe was actually that he loved the scan so much because he could explain so many things yeah. about my eye to me if I did. Yeah. Like it, it was it was a nerd fest for him to be able to do this scan instead of the traditional. Yeah. Um, I yeah. love that. I, yeah, it was fun. The other thing that I'm noticing is that um, there's this this trend now where like if something is innovative enough, people are willing to pay out of pocket for it in mental health. And so you yep. see these things like these, like, um, you know, virtual psychedelic clinics. Yeah. Um, and it's like a thousand to two thousand dollars for a six week treatment. And those businesses seem to be doing business. So somewhere out there are people who are like, well, this is totally different from anything I can get anywhere else. It's and the outcomes are starting to look good. And like at some point, people are willing to pay out of pocket like significant amounts of money. Now, yeah. whether that means that long term they're willing to pay those things, I don't know. But, you know, I, I see that in my mind. And when I hear things like people aren't willing to pay out of pocket for mental health care, I'm like, well, I don't know and, about that. Maybe if it's and, cool enough. But you also will find, by the way, the other side of that works as well, too. You will sometimes find practitioners that actually use their access to the latest innovations as a way of building their practice. So they, they will, if something new comes out, they will try it, they will advertise it, and then they will, they will count on that kind of getting more patients to come into the door because they say, hey, this person's on the cutting edge and they're doing these kinds of things. So that actually cuts both ways. Both the, the patients are more interested in it, but the, 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 the eye, sorry, not eye care providers, but any, any practitioner can use that as a practice builder, which I think is also- No, you're right. You're right. We see that on the mental health side as well with clinics that offer, like I said, like, you know, IV and, um, you know, Spravato, these types of like the nasal ketamine treatments. Like there are clinics that are like, hey, we're doing this new cutting edge thing just to use the psychedelic parallel. Again, in-person clinics are also using this as a moat to kind of uh, define them or TMS, right? They're like kind of in-office in TMS practices as well, where like they're doing that more cutting edge stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I think there's some space there to make a wedge. I'm with you. Um, it's it's pretty exciting. But let's think about that then for a minute. Then, if we think about this, you know, what's standing between us in the future, and we think about you know some of the more the issues that we're having in in in, in DTX and digital delivery today, right now. So the the patients seem to be interested in it, right? It's, it makes their lives easier. It increases their access, and maybe even increases uh, maybe decreases their their costs. The 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 it, well, the practitioners need to come. Up, up a learning curve, right? You know, th there there is some interest there from the early adopters, the innovators, and you can see where they could potentially look at these as, as short-term practice builders, but longer-term uh, ways of increasing practice efficiency. So, if you think about those dynamics, right, and then and then of course we're seeing look, everything's always a little bit pay, a little bit slow on the payer side. It's just the nature of a payer, right? They 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 tend to be a little bit in the slow side, but but I think that they're starting to come up. And I know that pair, uh, you know, they they had some challenges, but they did a lot of work. And, and, you know, to really start setting this up and, and blazing a path for, for other people that come next and want reimbursement. So if you think about it, I see the pieces there and I don't really see, 
I don't really see why there should be some sort of structural or fundamental block to this. So that's why I'm kind of hopeful that it's going to happen in the end. I think what most people are focusing on right now, and again, I understand this, they're looking at a couple of names that got really big, really, really fast. And then they and then they didn't live up to expectations in, in the very short term that we need for you know, when we think about investment. So so that therefore people say, oh, this didn't work as well as I thought it would. Maybe that's a bust. I don't think that that holds water. I don't think that that's true. I think that the pieces are still there. Now it's just a matter of maybe building this thing up, letting it grow a bit more organically, and then we're going to start seeing people say, okay, now I see how this can be a a, you know, a, a business builder, and I see that kind of coming in over time. Well, and a lot of the companies that came right after those initial companies were just running to catch up, right? So like they yeah. forgot that you have to actually talk to doctors to know what doctors want and that you have to actually talk to patients and that that takes time. And so um, I, th I think some companies are kind of having to go back and play catch up and realize like we never spoke to our end users. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we didn't check with doctors and become their partners. And, yeah. um, you know, that that's important and uh, needs to happen. And so, um, you know, those middle companies are catching up. I think more recent companies like DopaVision maybe knew it from the beginning. Um, but as soon as that cruise ship gets turned around, um, I think we're going to be in really good shape. It's just, you know, you have to put that in your timelines. It's part of the process. Um, and now we know. That was hammered into me uh, in my in my time at, uh, in, in the in the pharma companies. Look, think about all your stakeholders, right? Don't just think about you're not just there. You're not just there to generate clinical efficacy data. You're there to understand how you can deliver a therapy to patients, and that means involving every bit of the stakeholder. We had to we had to be clear about how what's the clinical plan, but also what's the regulatory plan. What's the what's the reimbursement plan? Like you know what's gonna, what's this going to look like out in the market? If you don't think about all your stakeholders, then you you have a chance of missing a big part of the chain. And companies founded by people from tech, not healthcare, didn't necessarily have that that background. Yeah. So I think yeah, we're, yeah. we're just seeing some remnants of that. Okay, yeah. so I have to stop. As much as I like, I think we could probably uh, talk on and on. Yeah, um, sorry. This is a great conversation. What? Why are you apologizing? Stop that. Because because, because I don't want to stop. I'm, I'm sorry that we have to stop. <laughs> well, <laughs> fine, fine. In that case, um, thank you so much for coming. Um, thank you all of you out there for listening. Uh, this has been DTX Equals, and uh, that's it. Thank you, Acacia. I really appreciate you having me on. Talk to you soon.